Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Drove it in, uh, driving in today on St. James. I thought this is different. <laughs> it is. This is different because I walked yesterday, and I thought I'm in the ro- I'm in the wrong lane. They're already tearing up the other side. They're working fast. You're on fresh concrete, man. <laughs> I mean, not that you want to go to St. James Street on purpose right now, but if you want the freshest, smoothest concrete in town, that is the place to be. Yeah. No drag racing, please. That's right. I, it was, I was filled with surprises when, I, when I'm going up St. James today because they're, I'm on the left side of the street as they're tearing up the right side. This is if you're facing north. And then I look up at the price of gas at Canadian Tire. It was 81.9, I think, yesterday. Today it was 92.9. Get out. So, really? Yeah. Huh. So watch out for that. If you still, I saw 87.9 at one station coming in and then 92.9. So. All right. I guess uh, Dan McTagg will be uh, joining Richard on the news this afternoon to tell us what's going on. <laughs> Just a prediction. Maybe. Perhaps. You stumbled upon something rather interesting on Facebook regarding well, hope, a lost camera. Well, I hope I'm not the only one finding this interesting. About 4,000 people shared a post from a young lady by the name of Crystal Luck. Imagine that. Her last name is Luck. She came across a camera filled with pictures, well, filled with, in her words, pictures of just a lovely couple. She posted it on Facebook saying, hey, I found this camera with these pictures on it. Please spread it around. I'd like to reunite the camera with its owner. And in less than 24 hours, Facebook did what social media is so capable of doing, connecting us in a very special way. So we spoke to Krista Luck a little bit earlier. She had a few minutes to speak to us before the lunch rush begins because she's in Grand Forks working at a restaurant you might be familiar with, the Mexican Village. I know I've been there a couple of times. Mm, we good. asked her how she came into possession of James's GoPro. I went swooping down in Deep River Falls at the Voyager Zoo, and I, my tube got stuck, and I noticed that there was a handle sticking from underwater, and it had a tie on it, and I was, like, super curious. So I was, like, I grabbed it, and it was a camera, and I had to carry it all the way across, like, all the way back. I just carried it because I was curious if it still worked or not. But I was with Jake, and he kind of didn't seem interested in keeping it, but I was like, I'm keeping this. But when we got in the car and got it charging, it actually turned on. So I waited till we got home and checked out the pictures and shared them on Facebook because I saw a lot of memories on there. This camera was sticking out of the water as you were tubing down, uh, you were on Thief River Falls, you say? It was, it was in a waterproof case with like a stick on it, like a selfie stick. And... That handle was sticking out. The camera was, like, buried, kind of, so I just pulled it out. What an incredible endorsement for the camera. We don't really need to talk too much about that, but the fact that James says that he lost that camera nearly two years ago. Really? Yeah, so you haven't spoken to him yet? No, well, I did, actually. He added me on Facebook, and we had a couple comment conversations, like Facebook comment conversations, that's it. Wow. So this is, like I say, this story is kind of picking up some steam here and inspiring people to uh, share their stories about things that they found along the way. And your last name is Luck. Is is that your real last name? 
<laughs> yes, it's real. <laughs> so have you ever found anything like this before? Have you ever stumbled across money or jewelry or anything? And and what compelled you to take the step to try and reunite James with his camera by posting these pictures on Facebook? Why, uh, why did that seem like the right thing to do to you? Well, when I first found it, I thought it was just a cheap $20 camera because it's so tiny. So I was like, oh, free camera. But then when I got home, I saw all those travel pictures. Like, they were traveling. They have, like, pictures from Paris and other states. And they've, they've been a lot a lot of places. And I thought they were a cute couple and they want their memories back. So I wanted to return the memories back to them because I'm a nice person. Were there any pictures on there that uh, maybe were not meant for your eyes? Actually, no. Nope, they were all just travel selfies. <laughs> Great question, Brett. Well, you know, you, you're like, if you're going through this thing and you stumble upon, oh, this was a little private. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was kind of scared I was going to come across those as I kept flipping, but no, just pictures of a dog, pictures of their house, some cool shots, underwater shots. So this happened quite quickly that uh, people figured out and that James stumbled upon your picture on Facebook. We will be talking to him in a little while to get his version of, of what went down. What have your friends been saying about your little adventure here? They think it's really adorable that it got this, this like out. They were pretty surprised I found the owners of the camera within 24 hours using Facebook. I was actually surprised I even found them. I was happy I found him, and I was when when I found him, I was actually currently working, so I was constantly trying to check my phone, but I couldn't because I was working. So it was stressing me out a little bit because I just wanted to talk to them. So what were the the steps involved? You put the pictures online, and it 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 took you I think twelve hours to make contact. So how was contact established? Somebody messaged me saying they know the girl, and they sent me her Facebook profile. And I just messaged her, but she never got back to me until somebody actually shared my post on her page, and then she got back to me. That is fascinating stuff. So what do you do there at the Mexican Village Restaurant? I'm just a cook. Just a cook. Just a cook. I, let me tell yep. you, that's uh, one of my favorite restaurants there in Grand Forks. I uh, love the... The burritos and the fajitas and stuff. So uh, people are going to be coming down from Winnipeg. You're going to be like a little bit of a mini celebrity down in Grand Forks now. You know that. Awesome. Have you ever I'm been? looking forward. I'm already getting a bunch of Facebook requests, a bunch of them and messages. Have you ever been to Winnipeg, Crystal? No, but I've been uh, the only part of Canada I've been to is Grantville, Saskatchewan. Well, we might have to change that. Well, maybe we need to get you up here for a weekend to thank you for your kindness. Thanks for doing this, Crystal. We appreciate your time. And oh, and yeah. and so adorable, so kind, so considerate for you to post those pictures and try and make sure that James got his camera back. Uh, I love these good news stories. There aren't enough of them, and you're right at the center of it and completely responsible for doing such a great thing for somebody else. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Wait, one more question. When does uh, when is the exchange happening? They haven't they haven't gotten back to me on that. Uh, they will hit me up on that, and I will. Some new lady here wanted me to keep her updated because she wanted to do a whole story on this. She thinks it's really sweet, but I don't know when it's happening yet. All right, I hope well, soon. Crystal Luck is the woman in Grand Forks who found a GoPro camera sticking up 
out of the river at Red Lake Falls. Many Winnipeggers, many Southern Manitobans have gone down to Red Lake Falls for tubing in Minnesota. She referred to it as Thief River Falls. I think Thief River Falls is sort of the, the blanket region. Red Lake Falls is the specific location, Voyager's View Campground. She sees this selfie stick sticking out of the water. She stops there. I, I, I think they, she only noticed it when her and her boyfriend got stuck. They got hung up on something, right? So she had to yank this thing out of the river. And it works after being in the river for a year. Now, I have a GoPro myself, and I have the waterproof case that goes around it. I never would imagine that you could submerge it for a year or more and still, after recharging the battery, have it work. I would imagine that it would have been good for the trash at that point, but... What a strong endorsement for the case and the camera. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're built to go underwater, but I didn't realize that they could sustain that sort of... Uh, and hello, we've had a winter yeah. since it was lost. I know we said in that conversation two years. It actually turns out it was almost a year to the day. We spoke to James Cowan uh, about an hour after we got off the phone with Crystal, and I guess we'll play that part of our discussion and share that part of the story when we come back after weather. So that's what's coming up next. Your forecast on 680 CJOB. Ever lost a camera, Brett? Uh, almost there. And actually, it was almost a GoPro. It was, uh, was we were in the Cayman Islands. Oh, boy. It was that we were on a cruise vacation and we borrowed a friend's GoPro camera. Oh. And my girlfriend at the time, she had it on her head in that mm-hmm. fancy thing that, well, she jumps into the water and it pops off. She says, I can't find it. And I we both panicked and I said, well, Dive, dive. <laughs> That's not an answer. That's not acceptable. So she dove and she found it and oh. all was well and we got great pictures out of it. So Well, it's different when it's somebody else's, right? Now, there's nothing worse than having to buy a camera that doesn't exist anymore. I know I lost uh, one of my digital cameras. I was the night of one of my brother's weddings and I don't know if I left it in a cab or left it at a bar or something. But really, I put the word out when I called the cab company. I said, look, I don't give a crap about the camera like if one of your drivers has it i just want the memory card mm-hmm. you know my kids are two years old i've got pictures on there that are irreplaceable because yep. some of them hadn't been downloaded and that's all i wanted back was the digital card never got it back and i think that's for a lot of us the feeling that we have if we lose the camera it's like you know don't you know the physical hardware can be replaced yeah. it's the memories that are irreplaceable yeah, and uh, James Cowan, this happened to to him. He lost a camera, and this woman named Krista Luck, who lives in Grand Forks, found it. She posts a couple of pictures from this camera that she found in Red Lake Falls in the river. She posted a couple of pictures on Facebook, shared it, saying, you know who these people are because this is a really nice-looking couple, and I found their camera, and they have so many pictures, and I... Just want them to be reunited with their memories. So within a day, 12 hours, I think, they made contact. So Crystal Luck found the camera in Grand Forks. James Cowan is from Winnipeg. He's the guy who lost the camera. He's from Manchester, England. So we asked him first, what brought him to Winnipeg? Uh, the weather. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, my, um, I met a girl, uh, Celia, and we were traveling. I met her in 2014. Um, and then I decided to, to make a go of it and moved here this time last year, I think it was. Tell us a little bit about how you lost your GoPro. Pretty much, obviously, enjoying ourselves a little bit too much on the uh, Red Lake Falls. And then I went to 
to take a picture, obviously, and looked down and she was gone. Um, obviously, when I realised she was gone, I um, I kind of just admitted defeat there and then and kind of gathered that one day if somebody finds it, you know, I don't think they'll steal it. I think they'll they'll pretty much look at the footage of the pictures I have and they'll try and get it back to me. And it was only a couple of nights ago I was joking with Celia in, in, in the bedroom, obviously saying, that, oh, I wonder if somebody will find it. Cause it was about this time last year that we went and obviously Crystal saved the day and she messaged us last night. Well, she posted it on Facebook and then friends of Celia's noticed and they messaged us and before we knew it, like it was um, pretty good. Like I think, I think over 4,000 people have shared it to try and get it back to us. So it's pretty good considering. How many pictures were on this camera? Oh, pictures, oh, thousands, I reckon. Because we have, we've been Paris, um, all over the world with it. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of pictures. <laughs> well, we spoke to Crystal earlier, and she said you look like such a lovely couple. She couldn't imagine not trying to get this camera back to you. So your faith in humanity was founded, my friend. Yes, and um, it's good timing because I, I just got engaged to my girlfriend last week. So um, things are kind of looking up at the moment. Well, congratulations on that, James. Thank uh, you. You and Celia, I think it is, right? Yeah, Celia Broski. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. So have you made arrangements to get your camera back and maybe even more importantly to meet Crystal? Yeah, well, um, I said to Celia last night, we mentioned that um, we're probably going to head down to Grand Forks, um, take Celia's mum down and we'll go for the weekend and have some drinks and meet up with Crystal and probably buy a lunch. Well, obviously buy a lunch. <laughs> um, but um, that's that's pretty much the plan for it. We're just going to go down and meet her and collect it in person and we'll take her out for lunch and a few drinks and obviously tell her how grateful we are. And when were you down in Red Lake Falls when this happened? This was this time last year. It was like two weeks ago last year. So it was pretty much to the date that I'd lost it. And it had been found, so. Pretty strong endorsement for GoPro. You might have an endorsement deal oh, on your hand. Oh, tell me yeah. <laughs> Between <laughs> you and yeah, Crystal, you might, be, you might be doing uh, commercials for GoPro this time next yeah. year. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> because, did she tell you how exactly she found it? Um, I, I think she was just with a boyfriend. So um, there's, a, there's, a shallow part of the, there's a shallow part of the river just before the party island. Obviously, that's where it must have fell out. Maybe I was trying to stand up there last year when it had fell out the ring. But she said it was just in the shallows, just there. So people have been going down there all last year and the rivers froze up over winter and then it's defrosted. People have been going down ever since and Crystal was the lucky one who found it. And, and I reckon it didn't really go very far at all. Had you transferred, <laughs> had you transferred any of the pictures or video Not, from that nothing. camera? Nothing. Obviously, once it was gone, it was um, it was gone. Have you got new uh, habits now, James, in terms of keeping track of your digital photos and stuff since you since last year? Yeah, yeah. Just as soon as I get it, and like I, I was traveling with it for oh for for around two years. Like I never lost it. Been in the mountains. I've been diving. Like I've been everywhere with it. And then as soon as I get to Red Lake Falls, I have a beer. 
and it's gone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how it goes. Cellar VA. <laughs> so when's the wedding, James? Well, actually, I, I actually made a joke last night to Celia saying if a thousand people share it, I will get married at Christmas. Well, I think we're well over a thousand now, and I think I'm a little bit too deep. So <laughs> You're committed now, my friend. Yeah, I'm um, pretty committed, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you should be hiring Crystal as your photographer or, 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 or similar. Yeah, we'll, we'll get her used to the angles of the GoPro, and she can, uh, she can come take the pictures for the wedding. Brett, you asked Crystal uh, what I thought was the most humorous of the questions. Oh, I asked her if there were any pictures on the camera that maybe were not meant for anyone else's eyes other than you and Celia. <laughs> the camera doesn't have a focus button, so I think I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, James, we know you're at work right now. Thanks for taking some time with us. Can, can we keep in touch and find out how things went when you meet with Crystal? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, by all means. Um got my number you've got me on facebook um if you want to get me on instagram um my uh, address is jam3scow3n obviously on instagram it's got all the thousands of pictures that i've posted previously from traveling and whatever's going to be posted in the future so yeah by all means um add me on there and it's uh, it's a pretty good follow it's not bad James Cowan from Manchester, England, once again. He is the man who lost his GoPro camera while sitting in a tube going down the river at Red Lake Falls. A year later, Crystal Luck from Grand Forks finds the selfie stick sticking out of the river, yanks this thing out of the river bed because she said it was stuck, and lo and behold, it still works. She posts a couple pictures on Facebook. Within 12 hours, she's connected to James. Boom. Pretty neat stuff. And that again, is social media at its finest, not at its worst. And again, the the his Instagram was JAM3SCOW3N. He's got some really cool pictures of his previous travels. Are you on Instagram, by the way, Greg? I actually am. What's your... I have no idea. <laughs> okay. well, you... I think it might be the same as my Twitter. It's well, probably GMAC Winnipeg. Well, you can follow me. At, I think you're right. And you can follow me. It's just Brett McGarry. All one word. Brett McGarry on the Instagram, as I like to call it. Global News at 1.30 is up next. Okay. Every once in a while, these surveys come across our desk. And it's always interesting... When part of the survey involves you admitting to something, either either about amount of time or the amount of times you've done something, mm-hmm. I'll put it into uh, focused here. The headline, working hard or hardly working. If you've ever felt like there's not enough time in the work week, your cell phone and list of errands may be to blame. A Canadian professional surveyed by staffing firm office team said they squander an average of 43 minutes per day, or the equivalent of more than three and a half hours a week using their mobile device for non-work activities in the office. In contrast, senior managers estimate their staff members spend 32 minutes each day on their cell phones during business hours. Workers, and here's the interesting part, Brett, workers also admitted to clocking 40 minutes a day on personal tasks. All in all, the average employee could be wasting nearly seven hours per work week on activities unrelated to the job. The word admitted is in there, which means (laughs) there's no way of verifying how much time this is. This is purely a self-introspective 
And if you're saying and admitting 40, it's it's way more than that. Yeah, it's probably, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, 40 minutes. That's, uh, <laughs> that sounds about right. Well, I think we, well, you know what? Let's, I don't want to, let's, let's bring on our guest before I pose this question. And our guest is Shelly Passingham, is the branch Hi. manager with office team. Shelly, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Is it Passingham? You did indeed. It's Passingham, just Passingham. the way it sounds. Okay. Yeah. So what I was going to say here is if we think that we're admitting that we're being honest with our estimation, <laughs> is it just that we don't realize how much time we waste in a given day? Right. I mean, it's it's funny that this is what we admit, like you said earlier. So it makes us really think, how much time are we actually working? Um, yeah, I mean, when you actually add up all of the numbers and seven hours per week, really, that essentially we could be wasting or not focused on our work activities while we're at work is 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 huge. It's almost a day of work each week. I guess it's a day of work, depending on how you calculate a day of work, because right. it looks like the math is a little bit d- different. And then when you throw in, you know, mail it in Fridays and and right. uh, I wish I weren't here Mondays. The, the work week is <laughs> right. really We're about two hours long. Three hours a week, I think. <laughs> there you go. We're on the same wavelength there, Shelly. So what's the message here? Do we do we need to be more honest with ourselves about how much time we, we spend, yeah. uh, you know, dedicated to the, the task that we're being paid for? Because I am a self-admitted time bandit. I, yeah. uh, I, I, I steal time from others as much as I waste my own time. <laughs> it's it's something that's that's been a part of who I am probably since kindergarten. You know, I think it really is understanding that, um, you know, we have uh, an online landscape that's constantly changing. So when we, especially when we're looking at certain age groups, 18 to 34, they have grown up using their cell phones all the time, literally, that this has had an impact in terms of working. So I think for um, employers, it's really gauging is productivity uh, decreasing because of this additional uh, time spent on the phone or, you know, searching internet sites or what have you. Is it unrealistic though, or, or maybe I should say, is it realistic to think that we can focus completely on our job for the entire eight hour stretch? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you need to understand that, you know, People have personal lives and non-work obligations that just suddenly don't disappear the minute you walk into your office um, or during business hours. Um, you know, we live in a constantly connected world where we do need to check our phones. So I do think it's it's somewhat unrealistic to, um, you know, have everyone leave their cell phones outside the, the doors of their work. Um, but I think it's a fine balance. You know, I think that, you know, especially if you're a manager leading by example, if that's the expectation and certainly ensuring it doesn't cut into your productivity. Shelley Passingham, branch manager with Office Team. She's sharing with us some insight into a study that uh, that Office Team released earlier today, working hard or hard, hardly working. Canadian employees waste nearly one full day a week on non-work activities. And, you know, a lot of us notice, in particular in the service industry, that things have changed a lot in terms of the quality of service that we get. Is there mm-hmm. any way to correlate uh, the quality of service that companies are delivering to their customers to these electronic distractions? 
Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. You know, I think I think that's what it can cause. It can cause a, a distraction. You know, you you receive these indicators and notifications if you have new messages, which can be quite distracting. Um, so I think it certainly has the potential of having an impact in terms of the service you're providing uh, to customers. Um, but it doesn't have to. You know, I I think again, it's just a fine line in terms of making sure that you're focusing when you, when you need to be focused. Sorry, I turned my microphone off here. I'm looking at one of the the stats here that that I think might prompt a knee-jerk reaction, but I would caution people to to, to just hold off for a second. Employees aged 18 to 34 rack up 58 minutes a day on mobile devices (laughs) and then 52 minutes daily on activities unrelated to their jobs, the most of all age groups. So my And I will admit, my knee-jerk reaction was, well, what does that say about uh, millennials? <laughs> but then yeah, I thought, right. hang on. When I was yeah. 18 to 34, I, I, I kind of did that too. Like, is it... Is it, is it, is <laughs> it, is it still do. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. it's just our kids are... And let's just call them kids. Are kids 18 to 34 always going to be the ones who maybe pay attention the least at work? Not necessarily. You know, I think the line between work and play has become a little less defined for younger workers. Um, certainly the work-life balance is, you know, what we're all hearing about right now um, is is very important, uh, certainly with the millennials. Um, and also it, you know, and many of the uh, this age group and people in this age group have just grown up using their phones way more than maybe people who are in an older age group. So I think just naturally you don't receive calls to your workplace. If it's a personal matter, they're just messaging you directly on your phone. So, you know, and I think we'll continue to see that. So are you giving advice to folks that you work with and companies that entrust you to create some sort of policy uh, to improve productivity? Would it be your position to put in place tougher restrictions on these things, to monitor these things? What would your advice be to companies that are realizing, oh boy, this really is an issue for us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's ensuring that um, the company is um, clear in terms of their expectations. Um, If it is preventing uh, productivity, I think it's having a very direct conversation with the employee. Um, If you see an employee who's on their phone a lot, maybe more than usual, that could indicate something more serious is going on. So I think it just warrants a sit-down conversation, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I think it's really up to the discretion of every organization that to determine how they want to monitor the Internet activity. Um, you know, some businesses will be required to monitor that. Um, so they'll have to work with their legal and HR uh, departments when establishing policies. Um, but I think it's really going to be up to the type of organization and, and what they're, you know, what they deem acceptable. Now, if I'm a young person or any age person who's yeah. thinking about going out to get a job or maybe engage an office team because you know, you're a temporary uh, uh, placement uh, service that uh, puts highly skilled office and administrative support professionals into the workplace, yeah. here's a way for me to separate myself from all my competition for a better job. 
Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think it's small things that, you know, when you're, you, you will be perceived as being more engaged in your role, especially when you're trying to make a, an impression. If you are working on a temporary basis and there's an opportunity maybe for something down the line to come up within that organization, um, it is certainly a way to show that you are engaged in the role and that um, you're not distracted or you have other things to do on your phone. And I'm just uh, looking at the other stats here. What was the the perception from the management perspective that what did managers think people were doing on their phones? Yeah. Um, Well, they thought they were on their phone a lot less (laughs) than they actually were. Um, So I think just in terms of the actual time spent, managers didn't really realize truly how much time people were on the phone. Um, you know, and I think for managers to guess as to why people are on the phone, I mean, you can only guess as to why. Um, I think it's just if you do find somebody on the phone and, it, and it, you are finding it, it's, it's negatively impacting them at work, I think it's just having a conversation and finding out why. Well, and clearly this is just one of several ways that you can find to uh, steal company time. I want to thank you very much for your time and this uh, study, Shelley. Thank you for uh, delving into it a little deeper with us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Shelley Passingham, branch manager with Office Team. Uh, Office Team, part of the Robert Half Company. And uh, some interesting statistics there, Brett. Just got a text message here about uh, Mick saying a friend of his, 43rd year in a skilled trade. He goes through between two and three packs of smokes daily. Come on. Can you imagine how much time he squandered? Never mind how many lighters, how many years of gagging, gasping, etc. A mind-boggling amount. So it's not only electronic devices that are time stealers. There are others as well. How honest do you think our listeners would be prepared to be calling in and let us know how much time they think or they're prepared to admit they spend doing unrelated tasks at work? 204-780-6868. We would love to hear from you. I know that when I was a smoker, I would go out more often than... Now that I'm not, I I rarely leave the building. But when I was smoking, I'd be outside once an hour. Although I think I I would work harder the rest of the time to make sure that I had the time to go out. For those smokes, but would love to hear from you. 204-780-6868. How much time do you think you spend in a day not working when you really think, oh, you know what? I thought I was working, but maybe I'm not. Because as I think about it, we goof off a lot here. A lot. And I think that that's part of our job. We kind of have an interest. I think you're right. Our job is very much a gray area in terms of when goofing off. Where does it stop being work and when does it become goofing off? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It's the number to text. You can email gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. Your forecast is up next. The headline, working hard or hardly working. This is a survey from Office Team. We just spoke with Shelley Passingham, who is a branch manager with Office Team, talking about... How much time people are admitting to maybe not working? That's about that's probably the most succinct general way we can say it. Maybe not working. And we have Shelly on the line at 204-780-6868. Shelly, are you prepared to admit to us how much time a day you spend at work not working? Well, I'm one of the people that work too much. I work all I don't even take breaks. 
So I'm self-employed. But when I was working in a, in a setting, and now that especially smoking is outdoors um, and on a designated areas, the smokers will have to walk to those areas, then have their cigarette half or however much they have. If it's a full cigarette, it's even more time. And then walk by and then why not go to the washroom, wash your hands and do all that stuff. So they're taking minimum 15 minutes between an hour and hour and a half extra than anyone else Hmm. per cigarette. You know what? That's a point of contention for a lot of people. And um, the fact that you're self-employed, you know, obviously means you have to hustle. If you're not working, you don't get paid. You're not making money, right? Shelly, that's a good point, and we thank you for that. I hadn't even thought about the, the those who are self-employed. And I will, just as far as the smoking goes, and in case you're listening, Shelly, I remember when I used to work in a call center. I can't remember the name of the building now. It used to be the Faneuil Building. It's on Broadway at the corner mm-hmm. of uh, Carlton and Broadway. I think it's the northwest corner. And there's a big, tall building there. And we were on the 15th floor. So if I wanted to run down for a smoke, and I only had 15 minutes so it was a race because sometimes you had to wait for the elevator to stop on every floor and I would get down there. I was on the clock, so I had no choice but to get up, get back in time. And uh, I know that here, I, I will stand by it that when I was a smoker, I was more focused when I was at my desk because I wanted to make sure that I had time to get out for that smoke. That's an interesting point. And I, I'm not saying that that's how all smokers are. Mm-hmm. But I, I next time you, you complain that your smoker co-workers are going outside think about how much work maybe just look at how much work they're doing i don't know it's a, it's just a, a theory well you know in far too many workplaces everyone else worries about what work isn't being done by everyone else as opposed to just getting your own stuff done don makes a great point here on text message and if technology steals time within the workplace how much time does the workplace and your work obligations steal from you when you're at home? Ooh. Now that this is a big part of our life. Here's Don's text. How much of the employee's personal time is spent on work-related tasks? Shortened meal breaks, work email, work phone calls, etc. Don, great point. And I think it's one that we have to take into account in this day and age. And one that probably allows... Employees a little bit of more guilt-free free time when they're taking care of personal tasks and things that can only be taken care of between nine to five if you're kind of forced to be under one roof yeah. for those eight hours. No, that's a great point, Don. I mean, yeah, you could be you could go for your lunch break, but if you bring your phone with you, mm-hmm. then who knows what sort of communication you're getting, especially if you're in a position of a management position. Once upon a time, you go on your break and you're gone. Maybe I'm you back had a, when I'm back. Maybe you had a pager, but otherwise you were. It was your time, Brad. And if I, you had a pager, you were really important in that, <laughs> I, or a drug dealer, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> but now you take your phone with you. You can't. You there's really almost no excuse. You send. That's right. If you're a boss and you get yep. an email, and oh my God, I can't imagine how many emails I get. Hundreds of emails a day. I can't imagine what our bosses get every day. I don't want to think about it. It's mind-boggling. How about this one? This is a little bit of a pat on the back to us here at CJOB. I'm a driver, and the amount of times I've sat five minutes in a parking lot to catch the last couple minutes of a CJOB program. (laughs) Appreciate that. Thanks, listener. Thank you very much for that, indeed. Um, When I worked, there was another call center where I worked at where... 
It was like you were on the clock all the time. Even if you had to go to the washroom, you had to clock out. And I remember getting in. What? It, yeah. Well, they they like you you had to press a button. You would it would sort of count against you. So if you're gone too long, you might get back to your station, and your manager will say, "What? Hey, where were you? What were you doing? I was in the washroom. Well, you have break time for that. Okay, whatever. I'm glad. I, let me just say, how about I? I'm glad that I work here now instead of back there. So your uh, washroom assigned washroom time is just about approaching, Brett. So whether you have to go or not, I suggest you take advantage. Yeah, it's the uh, it, it, well, no, it's not time yet. Usually, at some point between one and four, the employees of six eighty CGOB can hear me thundering through the the building <laughs> as I try to find an open washroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hardest building in the Western Hemisphere to uh, have a break at a certain time for, for certain things. Uh, it is one fifty six. That means it's time for Global News up next. And then after that, we are going to talk about Game of Thrones. Their ratings are in from this season debut on Sunday, and they are huge. So we'll talk to 680 CJOB superfan Keith McCullough. Enemies to the east. Enemies to the west. Enemies to the south. Enemies to the north. Whatever stands in our way, we will defeat it. Brett McGarry and Craig Mackling, that's a clip from Game of Thrones. Now, I know you already had a discussion about Game of Thrones on Monday. We did. With Kyle Milroy. We did. But uh, on your suggestion, we revisited it uh, because the ratings were revealed yesterday afternoon, late yesterday afternoon, and they're just crushing it. It's the probably the biggest show on television. Maybe not in terms of hard numbers, but when you combine its ratings and critical acclaim and general buzzworthiness slash water cooler, cooler appeal... I think I'd say it's the biggest show on TV. And the ratings for Sunday's Season 7 opener were huge. As of month, did you like the, the the way my voice cracked there? I did. I was loving every second of it. This is one of the benefits of working with one of the couch potatoes. I can just sit back. You put on your audio wizardry and you just paint a picture with your words. I, I'm not worthy to be in the room right now. And then uh, my voice cracks like an adolescent because I'm so excited. Huge. Oh. So as of Monday, 16.1 million viewers across all HBO platforms. So that includes repeats and streaming and DVR, as they call it, south of the border. That's a 50% jump from last year's opener. Crazy. Despite the fact that the drama aired in the summer for the first time. Normally it airs in April, but they had to wait till July because in the show, winter has finally arrived. They've been telling teasing it for years, so they had to go find actual winter locations to shoot the show. And uh, those numbers are going to go up. More people are going to stream the episode or watch it on demand. For example, Greg, you can watch it all on Shaw On Demand. I know you haven't watched it yet, but you so can. So how many, like 54 episodes on behind now? Oh, uh, yeah, six seasons, 10. They're all 10 episodes. Oh, 61 episodes yeah. now on behind. Yeah, That's okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I guess I know what I'm doing this weekend. (laughs) Season six averaged 25.7 million viewers an episode, by the way. And the show, in case you didn't know, it's based on a series of books called A Song of Ice and Fire from author George 
R.R. Martin. The first book in that series, A Game of Thrones, was published in 1996. There are five books out so far, still two more to come. So the first five seasons were based on those first five books. So the show has passed the books, which I don't think anybody envisioned happening, but has that ever happened before? I can't think of an example where this has ever happened. It's, I think it's unprecedented. And, uh, so the, who knows when the books are going to come out. We've already seen season six of the show. Now we're into season seven and Keith McCullough, 680 CJOB's Keith McCullough is a super fan of this show. And Keith joins us now. And Keith, we talk, we come at this from different angles, me and you. I mean, I have never read the books <laughs> I've only watched the show. I loved the season seven opener. You have read the books, and you said to me by a text, I thought it was okay. And I had an even sort of slightly more interesting point of view because I watched the first, I think, three seasons of the show, and then in between seasons started reading the books and actually finished the books, and now I'm back to the show. So I kind of did one and then the other, and now and now what's interesting, as you mentioned, Brett, is that the show has gone way past where the books actually left off. So we're in sort of this unprecedented situation where a show is based on a book, but it's left the books in the dust, and now it's sort of just blazing its own trail. So we're really starting to see some big-time differences from the original story that really inspired the whole Game of Thrones craze and the show that's obviously become such a massive worldwide phenomenon. At this point, or up until, say, season three or four, how loyal to the book had the television series been? Very. Very. And again, I watched those seasons before reading the books, but as I went back, obviously when you're reading a book, there's room for more, right? And there's some smaller characters that don't wind up in the show. But even some of the dialogue in the show came right from the books. And then really starting last season, because if if anyone who reads the books or has read about them knows, there's been like eight years between the, the last book in the Game of Thrones series and the one that we're expecting to hopefully eventually come out. The author, George R.R. Martin, really takes his time on these books. They're like a thousand pages, so it's been a long wait for the book. So the show had no choice, really, but to plow off on its own what we really started noticing last season brett and now for this entire season seven that just started the producers of the show have sort of free reign here to take the story wherever they want and it'll be interesting to see if the book ends up matching up or or where the two stories go but ever since i watched the books and i was worried or read the books and i was worried about this happening because i love the show and i was worried this might ruin the show for me reading the books, but I became such a Game of Thrones geek that I thought, oh, I'm going to read them anyway. And it has sort of affected the way that I watch Game of Thrones, the fact that I'm uh, a, a reader of the books now and have become sort of a geek on that side too. So, and that's where, like, I, I sent you a text on, I think, Monday, where I said, what do you think of the season opener? Because I loved it. And then you said, well, I thought it was okay. And then you, you uh, un spooled a whole host of you allowed complaints. Me, you allowed me to vent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, the show, and I think this is my own fault because I've become so engrossed in Game of Thrones and not only reading the books, but like studying theories online and, you know, taking a really deep dive on this thing. It's hard for me to just watch the show like I used to where I just tune in every week and say, that was awesome. But it, I, I, I'm noticing that the show... 
uh, has changed a little bit, and I don't know how much of it's me and how much of it is the show, uh, where it it feels like it's gotten so big uh, that it's not quite the same as it used to be. I, I think there's less dialogue now. It's more reliant on battles and sort of shock and awe type stuff. Uh, we saw a, a really gratuitous Ed Sheeran cameo that everyone's talking about uh, in the season premiere. It's still a great show. For me, it, it was just a little bit stronger when it was really based on the book material uh, in the earlier seasons. I'm still hopeful, though, but I, I actually thought more might happen in this first, uh, and no spoilers for anyone, I thought more might happen in this season premiere because the other thing that's changed is they're actually scaling back the number of episodes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're starting way later. It, it would usually be over by now, a season of Game of Thrones, this far into the summer, so they're starting way later, and I think they're only doing seven episodes in this series, so it'll be interesting to see how they get caught up and, and where they take the action now. Brett, I want to ask you and Keith this idea of maybe the show is almost becoming too big and it is having to outdo itself and therefore it is straying away from some of the things that it did really well at the beginning and now is being forced to be bigger. We talk about box office smashes in terms of movies. They have to have a certain amount of action. They have to have a certain amount of drama eye candy, these sorts of things. Is this what's happening with Game of Thrones in either of your opinion? Uh, And I think, Brett, and you can weigh in on this, that's not just a Game of Thrones thing. Anything that we kind of get in on early and then it winds up becoming huge, you sort of feel ownership with it from the beginning and it kind of gets frustrating when everyone sort of jumps on the bandwagon after you, whether it's an obscure sporting event or a beer that you liked that becomes big. I mean, it's, I don't think it's totally a Game of Thrones Get your thing. hands off my kokanee and my Game of Thrones. But I, I admit, I definitely do kind of feel that. And I'm glad so many people out there are now getting to experience how awesome Game of Thrones is. But it, it, it does feel like they're catering to all these fans a little bit more now with some of the stuff on the show. And I do worry that it's gotten so huge that it'll just kind of never go back to what it was. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. I sort of see it as as a good thing that it is. it has gotten so big because what it means is HBO just backs up the money truck and says, do whatever you want. You're making us millions and millions of dollars. So then they get to do these big action scenes and set pieces. And yes, the, the story is relying more on the action and the special effects. But the fact that they have a finish line in sight means, okay, this story needs to come to its conclusion and it's been building since the first season towards these massive there was only one way the show could end and that was with spectacle that was with these big fights and it's all starting to to come to a head and what one of the things yes keith there will be fewer episodes this year at seven but many of them are going to be like 90 minutes a handful right. of them i think we're going to see all of the, the longest episodes so it might end up being almost the same amount of Game of Thrones. It's still better than most things on TV. It's just a little different. And I think if I can just find a way, my goal for the rest of the Game of Thrones season is to unplug a little bit from being the total fanatic that I am and go back to the way I used to be when I started watching the show. Just kind of don't think about it for a week. 
and just watch the show as the show and just accept that there's the books and there's all this other stuff and the show is just sort of one part of this awesome Game of Thrones phenomenon that's taken over the world and just watch it like that and I, I think I'll end up enjoying it more because it's still a damn good TV show. I'm going to use a sports analogy here. I apologize to you profusely, Brett, not as much to Keith, <laughs> but you're like a fancy stats analytics guy delving in and getting I deep I'm into on my the high horse and I hate it, but I can't help it. You're getting deep into the, the whole theory behind Game of Thrones and the technical this and the and the absolute factual that. And you sound like one of these guys when I'm watching a, a Jets game and I'm following on Twitter that like simply just can't enjoy the game because they're analyzing every single part of it. You need to come back off the ledge, my friend. I'm, I know. I'm overthinking it. I watched the last episode in a robe with a sword in my hand. And a... <laughs> I'm start. I, I, I'm actually sort of believing you. Okay, now at different times, I've promised both Dressed of you. Dressed my dog up like a dragon. It was... <laughs> I, I have I'm, a, I'm kidding. At, at one of. point or another, promised both of you that I would watch this show. I still that haven't was done years it. Ago. I know, I know, and I'm so sorry. Even when we were in New York, didn't you want to go and see some Game of Thrones display and never got around Probably to it? Probably repressed you, that memory. Or are you are you still but... mad at me about that? Uh, anyway, you don't have the, to, but you should. It's good for those that don't watch it. I'll give you each the like the the on your own show, Brett. Oh, you're gonna get us to give you the 30 second elevator pitch. Yep. Well, we'll do that in a moment. We're joined by 680 CJOB's Jack of All Trades, Keith McCullough, newsman extraordinaire, filling in for Jeff Braun this week. He's a reporter. He's a host. He's a sports nut, and right now he's an honorary couch potato. We're talking Game of Thrones. It's rating our huge. More of that chat after your forecast. Up next. Shall we begin? Or perhaps the question is, shall we continue talking to 680 CJOB's Keith McCullough about Game of Thrones? Because he is a super fan who has not only watched all of the shows, but he's read all of the books. I have not read the books. The ratings are out for Monday, or Sunday's debut. Over 16 million people tuned into the Season 7 debut. That's over 50% more than last year's. It's doubled. So... Greg, moments ago, you started to tee us up for something. I'm going to give you the 30-second elevator pitch as to why. One more time, sell me and sell somebody listening. If there's five or six people that have never seen this show, Brett McGarry, why should they watch it? Game of Thrones starts off kind of interesting. It's like a medieval soap opera, almost. It uh, there's, there's political intrigue. It very much starts off as more of a political show than anything and then as it sort of moves along it becomes this uh, expansive adventure and they're, they're, it's becoming more of a fantasy show as it moves along but it's just, it's the biggest show on TV it's got the biggest cast the best visual effects and uh, it's it's amazing it's, it's it, I can't wait to watch it every single week. It is, it's like, it's a great term soap opera, it's sort of like it's like Lord, sit, sit. it's like Young and the Restless yes. Cross with Sopranos crossed with Lord of the Rings kind of thing if you're into any of those things and it's it's interesting it's become sort of like a reverse badge of honor especially on social media during this season premiere on Sunday those people out there who, who seem proud that they haven't given in and that they don't watch Game of Thrones and that's another thing that always happens when something gets this popular but I get not everyone likes dragons and swords and that kind of stuff but there's something there for you even if that isn't really your thing. It's intimidating to go back and try to catch up seven seasons behind now. 
Uh, give it a shot. I think you'll like it if you haven't tried it yet. You, the books, sorry, there. how many books have been written so far? There are five books out. There's supposed to be two more coming, but the last one came out, I think, in 2010 or 11, and we still don't have any light at the end of the tunnel any day on, now. on when the next one is supposed to come out. But there's supposed to be two, at least two big, long books still to come. You read all five of those books between seasons three and four? I, I read a, a, a few of them at least. I can't quite remember, but I churned through them pretty good, yeah. Wow. They're good. That's impressive. They're good. Keith is on his way to the dry cleaners to pick up his robe. The one other thing, if you like Game of Thrones, I would recommend giving the books a try because it's a whole other level of fun and there's a lot of cool storylines and stuff that that obviously don't make it into the show, and I understand that. But if you love the show, I think you're going to love the books even more. That would be my pitch on that. Are the books more palatable or more difficult to read than Lord of the Rings? There's a, there's even more characters than Lord of the Rings. It's they're not easy reads, but if you love Game of Thrones, I think you'll find you'll find them easy to get through. Well, Lord, of the problem with Lord of the Rings is he would spend like five pages describing the color of the field, and then yeah. he'd spend five seconds uh, talking about whatever big important battle was happening. So it was, Lord of the Rings was very much like reading poetry at times, and it was uh, it was like. Uh, to use a Jeff Courier, it was like uh, slogging through peanut butter up to your waist. Look at it you. this way, Greg. When was the last time everyone's heard this? The book is always better than the movie. Almost always. There's only a handful of times ever. Lord of the Rings, some people would say, would be one example that the movie or the TV show is better than the books. The books are almost always more fun. 680 CJOB's Keith McCullough, huge Game of Thrones fan, even a bigger fan, I think, than I am. He's read the five books. There are still two more books to come, but we're already into season seven of the show, which debuted on Sunday. And uh, my math is incorrect. It, it, it The ratings went up by 50%, so the ratings didn't double, but that's still a lot. Uh, 16.1 million people tuning in, and those those ratings are expected to climb throughout the week as more people stream it and what have you so we'd all happily take a 50 percent increase of all sorts of good stuff brett so uh you you are forgiven i'm i'm i think i'm admitting defeat here 61 episodes you're not gonna try i don't know if i can catch up i i'm i might try well i'll just tell you this now granted you have a family and you know uh, a life uh, when breaking that when you break, don't have a life in 2013, when I think it was 2013, when Breaking Bad finally wrapped up, yeah, I, the finale was coming on September 28th. So <laughs> on Labor Day, I started watching it and I got through it. I, I thought it would take me all the way up to the 28th because there were six seasons. I think I finished it in 10 days. So I was able to watch the last three episodes live. Were you a zombie? I would go to work and I would go home and I'd watch like eight episodes and then I'd get, that was all I did for 10 days straight. It was, <laughs> I love it. You should have documented that on video somehow. It was fun and, uh, but yet sad. Kind of uh, absurd. 2.30 news coming up next. So it's been fairly hot the last few weeks. I would say solid three weeks where we've been in the low to mid to very high 20s, the odd 30 degree day. And of course... When you want to sleep, heat is not your friend. No. Plain and simple. It sucks. Yeah, it really does. And even a lot of people who are, are fortunate enough to have central air conditioning or live in an apartment building where everything's cooled, uh, sometimes it's not cool enough, you don't have control. Uh, but what about those who live without air conditioning? I lived in Alberta. I lived in Calgary for three years. 
And I was shocked when I learned how many people don't have air conditioning in Calgary. It gets hot there, but it cools off at night and it doesn't get hot for as many weeks in the summer as it does here in Winnipeg. Shocked as to how many people deal with that. But when I came home, I realized, yeah, there's still some people here that don't have have that. It really is a luxury. It should be maybe mandatory for... Apartment buildings? Is yeah. that part of the angle we're covering here? I, well, you know, maybe it is. I just do. The reason why we're having this discussion is I caught uh, our new sort of borrowed colleague, <laughs> Brittany Greenslade, who has been filling in on the news this week with Richard Cloutier, having a chat about how she once upon a time in her apartment did not have air conditioning. And I immediately perked up because I had a similar situation. So, Brittany, yeah. thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've now lived in your apartment for how many years? Five years. And for how long did you go without air conditioning? Two so it's a it's a three three floors, and so it gets really warm in the winter because I don't even need to turn my heat on because every all the heat rises. But the same is true in the summer. And I worked mornings at that beginning stage, so I was at work at three thirty in the morning. I actually used to go into work early, earlier than three thirty a.m. because I couldn't sleep. It was so hot. I had friends that refused to even step foot in my apartment, even with the fan. Fans just blow hot air on you. They're not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> they are not helpful. Yeah, yeah, you know, you get that odd, uh, I'll always remember calling it good sleeping weather, right? And uh, the idea of once in a while you get these good, cool nights where it gets mm-hmm. down 13, 14 degrees. You can open up all the windows. But I can remember as a kid growing up in the West End in the two-story house, there were some nights we would sleep on our screened porch. Oh, yeah. Because we just did not have air conditioning and it was so hot in that house, and it's inescapable for a lot of people. I thought I was going to be really smart. I was like, you know what? I'm the First summer, I don't need it. And people looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, it's fine. We'll just see if I can survive. And I remember that summer getting up to like 40-something degrees with the humidity. And going to bed at night, I actually took a bowl of ice and put it <laughs> in front of my fan because I thought, brilliant, right? Sure. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. Would you, it doesn't would work. Did you, you did, did you build a thunderstorm inside <laughs> no, your living room? What, like, it what just happened? melts really quickly okay. when it's that warm. So I finally broke down and bought an air conditioner. And uh, Brett, we were having this conversation. Now I'm complaining that it's too loud. Okay, and it's too I got to step out of this. <laughs> So you, because you, you weren't allowed to have a window unit. No, the strata in my building doesn't allow window units. So I actually bought one of those massive standing ones. And I said to you yesterday, I, you know, it gets too cold now. I have to turn it off. And then as I was listening to myself, I'm like, well, I can set the temperature. <laughs> I swear, I'm actually very smart. <laughs> it's, taken me, it's taken me three years to come up to the conclusion that I just don't need to set it at such a low temperature. I can raise it a little bit and yeah, leave it on. Variation. It's, it's yeah, a, I, don't, I don't know. Digital control. It's, yes. a, it's a great thing to have. <laughs> now, I ha- I didn't uh, go with a window unit either. I got one of those, the, the portable stand-up units because I, I bought it with the intention or the idea, at least, that maybe I would relocate it to my bedroom or totally. my living room, depending on... Mm-hmm. But it's actually rather clunky and kind of... It's not a quick, it, it doesn't take long to set it up, but it takes long enough that it's inconvenient to move it around. And I thought, so I remember when I first got it, I was so excited because I had, I've been in my apartment now three years and the first summer was was dreadful. It was so hot and humid. And I remember coming home. I remember not wanting to go home. Yes. I had that same feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Do it's, anything to avoid it. It was so muggy. So I got this this stand-up unit, and I put it in my bedroom, 
and I thought I'm going to have the best sleep ever. It was so loud. I was having <laughs> dreams that there was a tank in my bedroom, an actual tank that was rolling through the room and was going to run me over. So I moved it out of my bedroom and because it's so loud, I can't have it in the living room either. So I kind of try to split the difference and I keep it in my kitchen. So my kitchen is always extra cold. <laughs> the rest of the apartment is tolerable. Yeah, mine lives in the living room, and then I've got a fan in the bedroom, and I try to do some sort of cross-breeze scientific. Yeah, no. It, the, it works. It works now. Now, the, the cross-breeze is tough to achieve mm-hmm. in most apartments, right? Because a lot of the times, you have windows just on one side of the yeah. building. Every once in a while, you'll have something where you might have uh, on a corner, right on a right angle, where you have one maybe on the south and then one on the west. But if the wind's not blowing in the proper direction, it's tough to to get that cross breeze growing. Uh, 204-780-6868. How do you deal with not having air conditioning? If you don't have air conditioning, we want to hear from you. How do you deal with it? Have you got inventive ways that you've come up with for beating the heat? Or maybe you just want to complain altogether. <laughs> We'd love to hear that as well. Winnipeggers love to complain. It's, sure part, of our, it's part of our birthright. Uh, what is to complain? Yes. Yeah, that's very, very <laughs> true. Pound the table and complain. <laughs> you know, the hottest I ever experienced was about 104, 105 in North Carolina one summer. And it is so incredibly hot and humid when you're outside. It's not like being in Phoenix when it's 110 no. or 112. 105 in the Carolinas is absolutely unbearable. But I'm convinced people get sick there because you go from the air-conditioned house and then you go outside for 90 seconds, get in the car, air conditioning gets going, you get out, then you go to the mall or you go somewhere else that's public that ha- like you... Everyone has Mm -hmm. air conditioning, and it is really draining. And I think it's as much the change from the heat to the cold to the cold to the heat as much as it is just the heat by itself that is exhausting. So anyway, we're just having a chit-chat about air conditioning. Is it something that uh, all houses, all apartments should have in Winnipeg? It it seems like a no-brainer to me, but I know there are a lot of people out there that just don't have it. What did you do to manage your... Your hair when it was really oh hot in your apartment. Oh, you're going to bring this up. Hey, I told you this. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to bring it up. You can't tell us. You it can't was, tell me and Greg anything. It comes out. Well, it was out. so hot in my apartment. And I have really thick hair. So I, when I worked morning shows, you could tell throughout the three hours what hour it was just on how big my hair was getting, uh, which is always such a great look to look back on. But I would actually have to blow dry my hair in stages because you you'd get out of the shower and your hair is wet and you start blow drying, but you're sweating and you're hot. And it's just, you, you just got to kind of throw some spray in and put it up because it's just not a good look. Well, I have never had to deal with that oh, in all the, my the days trials of and doing tribulations my hair. Of being a woman in Winnipeg. Could you put on makeup at home? <laughs> um, it was actually warmer in my apartment than it was outside. So I'd look outside and it was sunny and it was super hot in my apartment. I'd go out in shorts and a tank top and I'd get outside and it actually wasn't that hot. And I'd have to go back in and change and, and and spend as little time in my apartment as possible. And when you get That's up at 2.30 a.m. for work and you want to have a nap in the afternoon, that is not oh. possible. So is life better now that you got the AC oh, then? Oh, my goodness. It is so much better. It's like, oh, it's such a luxury. I feel like a princess some days. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. Vern is on the line. Hello there, Vern. What do you think? Oh, well, uh, I've got... Uh 48-inch uh, ceiling fans Yep. In, in every room, basically. Wow. And uh, 
they're really quiet. And uh, the one in the bedroom, it's a uh, four-speed. And I, well, sometimes during the day I'll have it on the third speed, but at nighttime, you know, just on the second speed, and uh, it works great. Hey, Vern, you sound like you're an expert on these things. You can change the direction on the fan, right, in terms of whether it forces down or draws the air and pushes it down or draws it up. I've got a ceiling fan above my uh, my stairway up to my second floor. Which way do I need that fan to be going in order to draw the air up? I I, I have no idea. The blade's uh, going which way? Uh did I stump you, Vern? <laughs> yeah, you stumped me. <laughs> All right. Somebody knows. Well, Vern, yeah. uh, while Greg was asking uh, if, this If qu- the fan is turning clockwise, yes. I'd say it's pushing air down. Okay, so I want to reverse it. Yeah. Well, now, here- I don't know if all of them, the, those ceiling fans have the uh, two-speed. I know I, in other rooms I have uh, a couple of smaller ones, and those you can uh, reverse them. But like it'll say on the thing where the pull string is. Well, hang on a second, Vern, because while I was actually thinking the same thing that you were, Greg, sort of along the same lines, and I looked up uh, ceiling fan direction, and I came up for summer. So for warm winter comfort in the winter, ceiling fans should rotate clockwise to pull the cool air up, and the gentle updraft pushes warm air, which naturally rises to the ceiling, down. So I guess clockwise in the winter and counter in the summer. I always just have it on counter because uh, much like your apartment, Brittany, in the winter, I, I have actually have my windows open all winter. I do too. Because it's too yep. hot. Yes. You can't, you can't get it right. No, you really Landlords can't. Landlords love that when you keep the windows open. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Fix the situation. That's the problem with living in an old apartment building, right? My my apartment building, I think, is from the fifties. Yeah, what's yours? You any I idea? have no idea. Okay, Tracy is at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hi there. Hi, Tracy. Hey there. I have central air, but ten years ago at my mom's at the senior center, they added on a whole bunch of new suites, and they never gave them central air or even window boxes. What in the same yeah, complex? Me, well, to me. Seniors have earned that, like, holy. So we, we had to put one in for her. Ten years ago, there was an apartment or an expansion to a, a yep. senior's home that was built without air conditioning? Yep, and even they had concrete floor. And I suggested put some floor heat because it's freezing. They just put linoleum. So we put in a carpet for her. Wow. Yeah. That doesn't I sound know, right. like you think seniors, come on. Yeah, for sure. Wow. All right, Tracy, yeah. thank you so much for that. 204-780-6868 is the number to call, is the number to text. Do you have any solutions for people like like me, for people like Brittany who have had, I mean, we have air conditioners now, but maybe you know somebody or have somebody in your life who lives in an apartment or lives somewhere that doesn't have air conditioning? Or what happens if you have an air conditioner that breaks down? I mean, Oof. I know... I know today isn't really, you know, it's kind of, it's just a nice day today, but it's going to get hot again. Can you imagine if you had central air in your home, Greg, and whoops, it goes kaput? Hey, you know what? Uh, I've given him a shout out before, my buddy Roger Venn, who uh, takes care of heating and cooling for me and and a few of my houses, and Roger gets run off his feet. Probably as much in the summer, going to take care of people's cooling needs as he does in the winter to keep 
keep care of their heating needs. It's for a lot of people, it's mandatory. Like they just simply can't can't function. We also don't it. realize it until you need it, right? It's yeah. like when we didn't have any snow and then finally we got a big dumping and people pull out the snow blower and all of a sudden it doesn't work. It's always when you need it that it doesn't work. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We would love to hear your voice. Maybe you have come up with some creative solutions that have worked wonderfully when it's been too hot, or perhaps you tried something that that failed or maybe backfired somehow. 204-780-6868. Brittany Greenslade, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, much like Keith McCullough is a jack-of-all-trades, Brittany Greenslade as well is a jack-of-all-trades. She's a host, reporter. You do the weather as well, yes? I do, yeah. yeah. And now she's filling in for Julie Buckingham on the news on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is up next. Sometimes that reverse psychology works with Mother Nature. Usually does. You Usually, taunt Mother I Nature I and do. then she fights back. I like that. She's got spunk, spirit. Maybe she'll catch on to the reverse psychology. Shh, don't talk about it. We were talking about air conditioning. We had a conversation in our newsroom yesterday with Brittany Greenslade, who's been filling in on the news with Richard Cluche sitting in for Julie Buckingham. So we had, I know it's kind of a cloudy, it's not the, the hottest day, but we had a conversation really of necessity today because she's gone back to the TV station as of tomorrow. So we had to get her in here while she was still available to tell us about her air conditioner experience experiences living on the top floor of a three-story apartment building, an old apartment building that doesn't have air conditioning. And she says for the first two years she lived there, she would essentially melt during the summer. But she has solved her problem with an air conditioner. And we have Tom on the line at 204-780-6868. What do you have to say, Tom, about air conditioner problems? Well, uh, my name is Tom, and I'm single. I just find a female friend that has air conditioning. Really? Yeah, that's how I solve it. And then, and then what? Well, well it gets a little you, warmer. You do a lot of visiting. Okay. <laughs> Got a boy, Tom. <laughs> Good luck to you guys. Right on, buddy. Man after my own heart. Love Tom. <laughs> Gary the Courier says, unfortunately, not all Winnipeg transit buses have air conditioning. I, that that is true. That's. That's not good either. Another text just says, gotta love central air conditioning. And Graham says, Brett, I used to be in an apartment without air conditioning. I bought a portable unit at about 3 a.m. one night when I was on the cusp of grim death. It was called The Diplomat. Greatest purchase I've ever made. The Diplomat. I'm just going to look up. Uh, the Diplomat. Variable air. speeds. It's got a remote control. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I've got something similar to that. It's, I can't even, I can't remember the, the brand. I think mine is Hair or Hire. H-A-I-E-R. Hile? H-E-I-L? No. No? Okay. H-A-I-E-R, I believe. Oh. Mm. Uh, but it's similar to this, this unit that he's got, the Diplomat. These, these stand-up units are really good. They, they're great. You have at- to empty them, right? No, they they don't collect well, water. Mine, mine has mine just it it just sort of evaporates it all out. It has two tubes that you sort of stick in the window, right? So it draws in the fresh air and then sends out the yeah. the evaporating or the con- condensed air. I guess it is. Yeah, so I don't have to do anything. So it's very nice. But like I said, it's so loud. So I have to keep it. So if I'm really hot, if I'm really melty, I'll go stand in the kitchen for a few minutes. I'll just stand right in front of it and let it cool cool me down to my bones. Uh, Brittany shared a story before she left about her experience with her uncle in Penticton. Yes. Who she used to look after. And it reminded me of Christmases at my late Nanny King's. 
because, oh my goodness, it would be like, my mom would be like, do not wear a sweater, don't wear a sweater, don't wear that, because you wanted to have one layer because it would be 90 degrees in her apartment on December 25th or December 26th. It was so hot. And she was... She she had the heat on that high? Oh, yeah. And she loved it. And there are lots of older people that just have never, ever had air conditioning in their lives. They grew up on the farm. And, you know, a fan even is a waste of electricity, like like Brittany's uncle. Okay, yeah, her 96-year-old great uncle, I think she said. And it's funny because... And it's not necessarily an older person thing. I had a girlfriend once who, um, when we were... She said she didn't have air conditioning and didn't want to move into a place that had, or central air wasn't important to her. Hmm. And I thought, are you nuts? Was she from Alberta? One no. of these Alberta infiltrators? No. no. And it, it eventually uh-huh. saw the light. <laughs> <laughs> so what, it's one of those things where what, it's one of those things where you don't know how much you want it oh, yes. until you experience it, and yes. then there's no going back. It's it, it's kind of like uh, a good tequila. You, you really kind of think you don't like it. But then when you try it, you go, how did I ever live without this? We had a woman in here, uh, Winnipeg Food. She has one of the top Instagram accounts in Canada, actually. Yes. What, what's her name? It was, was it Shell? Yeah, Shell. Uh, and she brought in that tequila. Oh, so good. We was it Shell uh, Zolkowicz? Is yep, that it? That sounds right. Yep. That sounds Writer, right. enthusiastic, cook, mm-hmm. food stylist, beekeeper, Shell Zolkowicz. That was a rough day in the studio. Yeah, she brought in tequila. Maybe we should get her back. I think it's time. Hey, by the <laughs> way, definition of Game of Thrones, this is great from one of our listeners. A children's fantasy show that kids can't. And shouldn't watch. Well, if they can't watch it, then it's not a children's fantasy show, is it? It's just a, a fantasy show for grown-ups. I thought it was very clever. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I'm being a skunk at the picnic. As oh, Charles, Charles Adler, Adler. The news is next. It is Greg and Brett with you until 4 o'clock. Then it's Brittany Greenslade and Richard Cloutier. From 4 until 7, Brittany filling in for Julie Buckingham while Julie's on holidays and enjoying some... R and R and we were talking about air conditioning in the previous half hour and so many people were used to in the good old days growing up without air conditioning but once you get it it's hard to give it up Brett McGarry but I did get an email while you were delivering the news the global news at the top of the hour from Sheila says we haven't used our air conditioner for two summers saved hundreds last year We survived by blowing inside air out the windows and the evening air. We blew it into the house. We are spoiled. I think a lot of people feel that we're spoiled on a lot of fronts. And air conditioning, although I think it should be a necessity, especially in any new builds, um, it is a little bit of a luxury because it, it costs money to run it, costs money to buy it. Yeah, it's definitely a luxury. And the the blow, the... The, you talked about bringing the, the cold air in or pushing the warm air out. I was walking down the street the other day. I was just walking up Harrow, and I looked at, a, uh, I think it's a condo block on uh, Harrow and Grosvenor, and somebody had their two windows open, and they had one fan facing out and another fan facing in. So I think that's that's one way to, to kind create of... Create your own cross breeze. Yeah. So, I mean, there are cre- creative ways to do it. We got a text message here from Jan who says, good afternoon, friends. Could you feel sorry for home care aides and nurses? We visit several, 10 plus per day. Yes. In the client homes, most do not have air conditioning due to illness 
and age. So it can get really intense. So I try to cool off between visits. However, there is no luxury of time in those jobs. Have a great day. Oh, it's signed Jack. So we have it. Li- the contact card says Jan, but it's f- signed as Jack. So either way, Jack or Jan, I'm sure there are numerous healthcare aid workers that are doing this job with either name. And if you're doing that job, period, uh, that's a really a great point. You do an incredible job all year round battling the snow banks and unshoveled snow wa- sidewalks in the winter. And then, of course, battling the heat itself and going into homes a lot of which are not air conditioned. That's a, a great point by Jan or Jack <laughs> at 780-6868. Two personal question to ask you, how much you pay for rent every month, Brett? Just under $750. That includes my parking spot. For more than so, a no. year, Vancouver has taken top spot for the most expensive city to rent in Canada. Okay. And now the city of glass has broken another record in July. You're going to fall over, man. Okay. The average price of rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver hit $2,090 a month. I said pardon? The first time this type of property has cracked the $2,000 mark since uh, uh, PadMapper started tracking rental data. PadMapper collects rental data from 25 of Canada's biggest cities based on population. In June, the average... Uh, in Vancouver was $1,950 and uh, a two-bedroom in Vancouver in July, $3,230. That was just a one-bedroom? Yeah, it was one bedroom. And two-bedroom is $3,230 a month. <laughs> gonna wow. move, yeah, it's just going to move out to Vancouver. So uh, top 10 one-bedroom median right pr- prices. Let me try that again. One-bedroom median rent Prices for July across the country, Vancouver, 2090. Wow. <laughs> that just rolls off the tongue. Vancouver, $1,800. Barrie, $1,200. Montreal, 1160 Victoria, 1120 Sorry, what was the second one? Because you had Vancouver there twice. Uh, Toronto, 1800 Okay. Barrie, 1210 Montreal, 1160 Victoria, 1120 Ottawa, just over 1000 at $1,080. Calgary at 1070, Kelowna 1050, Kingston an even 1000, Oshawa, Kitchener and Regina all at $980. Winnipeg not even in the top 10 for most expensive places for a one bedroom apartment. No, that's good and that's great. I think it's a sign that that Winnipeg's still very much an affordable place. I ended up choosing to live in a place. I certainly wouldn't call my place a dump. It's a modest apartment. I remember looking at some nicer places. One had a there was an apartment block that's off of River where River becomes Wellington Crescent. So yes. it's just tucked away in the corner there. Um it's and it runs along the river and it was a an apartment with a river view balcony and it was gorgeous. The view was spectacular. The balcony was gigantic. I couldn't believe how big it was. But it was an extra, I think, 250 bucks for that suite versus the one I ended up in. And as it turns out, I the location where I'm at I ended up being better. And the balcony is probably not something I, I would use a whole lot anyway. So I don't, uh, I'm glad I found an affordable apartment, clearly in one of the most affordable markets in the country. It looks like you're doing really well. And uh, just to jump back to the AC thing real quick before we check your traffic and your weather, John says, had relatives from Boston. They say, really? You guys need air conditioning? Your temperature rarely goes above 30 degrees. That from John. 
And another one of our listeners said, I cleaned the coil on my furnace last year. It's like I got a brand new AC. I remember having problems with my air conditioner in my house and uh, it was it was on. We had it on like, we, I can't remember what the temperature was set to, but it was like 27 degrees in the house. It just wasn't working. And someone just says, have you checked your filter in a while? <laughs> and I checked the filter, and it was a there was a wall of dust. Yeah, it was like concrete. There was so much dust on it, so I popped a new filter in, and uh, it changed was like, your world, didn't yeah, it? Like I'm, we're lucky it didn't break down. So three thirteen on six eighty CJOB. We will look at traffic. We will look at weather. Starting in two minutes, I see you and I are doing double duty on the text machine there, talking oh. to Katie about. Uh, minimum wage. Oh. <laughs> she wanted to know what That's the minimum right. wage was in the different, in, in the different uh, jurisdictions. We listed those crazy rents. BC, their minimum wage is eleven thirty-five. Ontario is eleven sixty. Alberta's is at twelve twenty, going to thirteen sixty in October as they move towards a fifteen-dollar minimum wage. So there you go. Thanks for the question, Katie. And uh, she says uh, nobody could live on the air. Or on their own with that kind of money. Is that a reply from her? Yes, it is. Um, that in uh, light of uh, Vancouver, uh, the average rent in Vancouver for a one-bedroom apartment, uh, cracking the $2,000 mark. Obviously, that's an average, uh, not a minimum, but uh, an average. Uh, just real quick, I want to thank everyone who's gone to uh, cjob.com, gone to iTunes, Google play to download and listen to the uh, Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. We are enticing you, incentivizing you to do that. We've got a secret word embedded within the podcast. Go check it out. We're already getting some text messages here. Send us the secret word because uh, we're, we're not ashamed to, uh, to to bribe you to listen. We have Blue Bomber tickets for you and uh, you just need to text us at 780-6868. The secret word embedded within the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. Oh, and uh, we have seen a couple of those text messages come in so that's great and your the podcast numbers are already up although it's funny because i heard the ad i heard the promo with bob irving extolling the virtues of this podcast and it only mentions doug brown yeah that's okay there's no man no. that's that's the star i'm fine not being mentioned well you should be it's okay it's it'll, mentioned it'll... it could be the you know with doug brown and and Greg Mackley. Just, just put like a 12 font for Doug and like a 4 font for me. It's it's all good. Well, there isn't good. even a 4 font. There's no that's mention zero, of Greg Mackley. It's a zero font. It's okay. It's okay. You're looking out for me. I like that. All right. All right. Oh, we got to give away a prize. We got 90 seconds here. We can give away a prize. Sure. So let's do that. And what's funny is because... Are you being environmentally conscious today? I am recycling <laughs> the what we did yesterday. Because we never, we didn't have time to reveal the answer. We have two tickets to MTS Super Spike this weekend at Maple Grove Rugby Park. We have single day passes. The question that we asked yesterday, and we're going to ask again today, has to do with an old Nintendo game. This is from the late 1980s. The Nintendo Entertainment System Super Spike V-Ball. Still my favorite video game of all time. And the question is simple. Who is the game developer for Super Spike V-Ball? We asked the question at the end of the show yesterday, so we didn't actually have time to give you the answer. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. If you know 
the developer of Super Spike V-Ball. You're going to Super Spike this weekend. Obviously, somebody knew it yesterday because we gave away the tickets. That's right. We'll uncork the lines. It's, we don't. Unfortunately, we can't say congratulations to whomever got the tickets yesterday because we didn't write the name down because we're forgetful. We're, we're bad, bad men. Yeah, I forgot, to, I forgot to go in and ask Jeff. You're a bad man, Jerry. I am. I am a bad man. So 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Who is the game developer for Super Spike V-Ball? One of the great games for the Nintendo Entertainment System. If you know the answer, then you are going... Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs. No, it was not Steve Jobs. That's not even a good guess. Bill, Bill I don't want to humor you. No, well, not Bill Gates either. 322... Forecast and sports starting in two minutes. 338 on this Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? It is already the day of Wednesday. <laughs> yes! Oh, I, like, I just, like, boom. My day just <laughs> went from Tuesday to Wednesday, just like snap of the fingers, just like that. Boom. <laughs> usually it goes the other way. I'm usually ahead of myself. It's probably because I was absent on Monday. Yeah, so, yeah. my whole clock is off. Yeah. That's good. I hope I remember to put the garbage out today. Uh, anyway, uh, we told you a happy story of two people connecting and getting reunited with their precious memories. Uh, if you missed it off the top, we visited with two individuals, one in Grand Forks. Crystal Luck is her name, and clearly has all luck on her side as she found a GoPro camera out at Red Lake Falls, right? We've determined that that's where that is, uh, where many of us have gone uh, tubing over the years. That GoPro belonged to now Winnipegger James Cohen, who lost his GoPro basically 50 weeks ago. Yep. It spent the winter in that river, and, um, well, it showed up. Crystal grabbed it, unburied it, posted a picture up on Facebook and said, hey, does anybody know these people? 4,000 or so shares later and less than 24 hours, they were connected. We spoke with both of them this afternoon. So that is one way that, as Kelly Moore likes to call, unsocial media can be very social and connect us and uh, reunite us, not with the technology, right? GoPro, you can go buy another one. Not a big deal. But um, James told us that he had hundreds and hundreds of photos from travels all over the place. Well, now in Nova Scotia, the RCMP and Jason McGrath's family are asking for your help to find out if you recognize a piece of Nova Scotia coastline based on pictures that were found in Jason's camera after he went missing. This is the story on globalnews.ca. The family of a missing Nova Scotia kayaker is hoping that a series of photos he took may provide his location. The photos were found on 32-year-old Jason McGrath's camera, which was discovered along with his kayak on July 11. According to the Searching for Jason McGrath Facebook page, the four photos were taken within a minute of each other. Do you know this coastline? An edited version of one of the photos reads... Attempts to contact the family were not immediately returned. McGrath is described as white with light brown hair. He has hazel eyes. Last seen wearing a black t-shirt and beige shorts. Nova Scotia RCMP say he was last seen on July 9th around noon in the area of Cape George and his kayak was found two days later near Judique, Nova Scotia. The Mounties told Global News on Wednesday that their search is still ongoing 
and they have conducted a thorough search of the area, which encompasses 89 square kilometers. On Saturday, an RCMP dive team searched the area where McGrath's kayak was found. They deployed sonar along with their dive team, but were unsuccessful. So RCMP are asking anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers, including whether or not you're familiar with the coastline that and, is featured in the photos. And a lot of people are really good at geography stuff like that. And I imagine they've had lots of responses, but don't let it deter you. Go to globalnews.ca and uh, search for Jason McGrath and you will find this story. If you are familiar with Nova Scotia, and have one of those memories and one of those eyes for detail, and you'd like to help out, don't hesitate to send me or Brett an email either. We'll send you a link to the story, which has a link to the McGrath family. Searching for Jason McGrath Facebook page, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. It is 3.42 on 680 CJOB. This is going to be a bit of an awkward segue, uh, but uh, sometimes you just got to go from the bad news to the good. And we do want to congratulate Donovan LaFrance, who is today's winner of the Super Spike tickets. We had tickets to MTS Super Spike this weekend at Maple Grove Rugby Park. We have single day passes. And today's winner for those single day passes, Donovan LaFrance. And the question today had to do with the Nintendo game Super Spike V-Ball, the original Nintendo Entertainment System, NES 8-bit video game, Super Spike V-Ball. I still play it. I have it on uh, my Nintendo at home. They had it hooked up in the lunchroom here. That's crazy. Power 97 was playing it, so I came along and I played a game and I won the first game 15 to 1, so I had to walk away because oh. I was... Oh, you're it almost, on top. It almost swallowed up my whole day. I was prepared to sit there for hours. Did you see this while you were on holidays last week that Atari is going to be releasing a game console? Oh, wow. I remember the Atari 2600 is as far as I went. Yeah. Uh, let me search this here. Well, while you're searching that, let me answer. Let me just provide the answer to the oh, trivia yeah, question. Oh, yeah, of course. Which we would want to go two days in a row. <laughs> we, we didn't have time to give the answer yesterday. Today, I will give it to you. The question was, who is the game developer for Super Spike V-Ball? And the answer is Technos Japan. So congratulations to Donovan LaFrance, who won today and knew the answer. Was it the same guy as yesterday? You didn't rec- Jeff says, nope, don't recognize his voice. I forgot to run in and write down the name of the winner. And uh, it's since just gone into the ether. So congratulations to yesterday's mystery winner and to Donovan today. Did you find what you yeah, were looking for? Uh, and uh, Forbes has uh, the great um, first line here. So I'm going to read it from Forbes.com. Hell hath frozen over. Atari is getting back into the video game console business. Last week, a strange and rather suspicious hardware trailer materialized on the website www.atarebox.com. The 21-second video showcased slick, panning shots of a retro wood grain and an illuminated Atari logo quickly ending with a vague coming soon message and the urge to enter an email address to be the first to know considering that the last proper home console to brandish the uh, legendary gaming brand was the ill-fated Jaguar way back in 1993 general skepticism was at an all-time high but this is this is happening my friend I wonder if this is the old because there was the 
the 2600 had the wood sort of paneling. I ended up with a later version of the 2600 that was a little bit sleeker, but it was the the wood paneling one was the one that looked really cool. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. And uh, I always liked Yara's Revenge and my mom liked Dig Dug. It used to frustrate me how good my mom was at Dig Dug. She would score like triple my score. Was... Well, my mom was a Tetris addict. So, oh, yeah? Yeah. Was that Atari or would that have been uh, Game NES? Boy? NES Game Boy. Yeah, on the TV, for sure. Okay. Can you bring me some tea? I don't want to get up from my game. <laughs> you make the best tea. She'd say, Greggy, you make the best tea. And then, of course, when my mom passed away, you know, we all would, uh, we're very proud, right? I'm the oldest of five siblings, and I proudly proclaim myself the best tea maker. And then <laughs> my baby sister says, I thought I made the best tea. And then my brother Chris says, no, mom always said I made the best. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> she said it to all of you. Uh-huh. Just to get her way. I'll get my revenge one day, Joanne. <laughs> 346 traffic weather next. National hot dog day in the United States of America. We got to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Coney Island. Coney Island, Nathan's hot dog. Yep. Yeah. Half moon. Are I you guys uh, gonna have no. hot dogs? Do you know the what news? they? Do you know what they put in the hot dogs? Oh, stop! I, the kids in the hall <laughs> did a great stop on that. They did. It was Gavin. It was. Uh, they did. What did he say? Uh, raccoons feet and old phone books. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite was the uh, dark black and white. The sausages, where the guy loses his mind for his sausages. I want my sausages. I want my sausages. Richard Cluche and Brittany Greenslade. <laughs> We're Brittany's on here. These like, are all going way over my yeah, head. Yeah, so. <laughs> sorry. It's a generational thing. I apologize, Brittany. Kids in the hall. Look it up. It's great stuff. <laughs> You know kids in the I hall. I know. It was never something I watched, though. So, okay. so the, you've at least heard of the go, kids in the hall. Yes, but okay. the jokes are going way over my head. Yeah, just by the way, <laughs> Wayne and Schuster. Wayne and Schuster <laughs> over there. As he points at me, Tommy <laughs> Hunter. <laughs> in black and white. Friendly Irish giant. Ro- friendly giant. Remember the friendly giant? Of course. Yeah. 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 I do, too. Rusty the rooster. <laughs> That's right. Jerome the giraffe. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Look up like Any of these ringing bells, Brittany? Up. No. Not no. even the Friendly Giant? <laughs> friendly Giant, yeah. Not sure. the rest of them. Miss no. Fran in the romper room? Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Best thing go. I've ever done at 680 CJOB. What? Introduce Mr. Dress Up. Oh, oh neat. See, I grew yes. up on that. Ernie so. Coombs. He was yeah. the man. I got, and at that point, it was just drop the mic. I'm done. Now, if Casey had been a real boy... CFS would have been all over that situation. <laughs> you know, there were so many problems there. No, no, no. He would have ended up with Ant Bird. <laughs> Ant Bird! Not a problem. Well done, Puppet Rich. raising puppet. Well, well, well done. And well as Brittany done. says, if you have to explain the joke. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, better. so we're going to talk music off the top. Uh, Justin Bieber has set another record. And worldwide streaming, but it gets us into a conversation about uh, genres and streaming. And uh, we'll ask you on our question of the day, not specifically what song you like, but the genre of music that you like. And if you had to pick a genre, uh, for example, are you a classic rock person? Are you a country person? Are you a dance person? Are you alternative punk person? Brett McGarry. Like, like, is there a specific genre that you like? I... uh... I sort of I don't I don't have a go to. Okay. I I do rock. I'll try some hip hop. I know we're all over the I'll place. Like the but electronic it, dance music. But if you had to pick one, if you absolutely had to pick one, I'd go with uh, rock. Yeah. Really? Yep. Yeah. Canadian rock. You love Canadian rock. I yep. know that. 
Canadian and, rock, and, 90s rock. And Canadians are, are, are still rock and rollers, but uh, Drolet, Mike Drolet from yeah. Global National says the research shows that that's changing. We see it changing. He said this has been decades since we've really seen that shift. But Richard, what you and I were talking about as well is just how things change. We are streaming our music now, uh, that and we can play it in our car. We have Sirius Satellite Radio. We have all of these different ways of listening to music. And uh, I was saying to Richard that I actually still make CDs for my car. Good so for you, <laughs> I awesome. pay for the music. You, and then I downloaded it and I make CDs. You just went up another notch in my books. Hey, I've been looking for a reason to talk about this show real quick. HBO Canada, the series is The Defiant Ones, about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Yes. And their parallel and uh, and divergent route together to meet together and to uh, create beats. The incredible headphones that they sold to Apple Music uh, for, for $3.2 billion. Check it out. If you don't have HBO, seek it out uh, any way you can. It's fantastic. Lots to talk about, including the wage gap and several other stories between 4 and 7. Thanks, Richard. Richard Thanks, Cloutier, Brett. Brittany Thanks. Greenslade, the news from 4 until 7. Greg Mackling, thank you. And Jeff Fortier and Master Control, thank you very much. And, of course, thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.